Hi, this is Philip Wurter. And Bernard Zimmermann. Welcome to our podcast series, Virtual Leadership Development, How to Master the New Normal. And a warm welcome from my side as well. In the series, we cover a range of topics that all have an influence or impact on leadership development and all its applications in a virtual context. The next topic on our list that we start in today's, our 21st episode, is how to engage with others as its theme. As we've said before in previous episodes, building engagement in a virtual context can be much more challenging than in a face-to-face situation. And that is what we want to deepen today. Bernard, why don't you give us a quick overview? When we build engagement, the one thing that is vital for it to be successful is that we do it consciously, not subconsciously. Mm -hmm. So what we cover is interaction, design, and flow. It's about how we prepare for a meeting that is truly engaging. Second one is actively build connection. As we said before, connection is the foundation for any engagement we have with others. The third topic is foster curiosity in others. We spoke about curiosity in our previous episodes, but curiosity literally is the fuel for engagement. These three elements need to be addressed consciously. In our experience, we potentially face a major pitfall, and if we don't address this consciously, then all the engagement we have built before doesn't matter anymore, and that's addressing the elephant in the room. In today's episode, we will cover the first topic, and in our next episode, the other three. So, Philip, let's dive in. The first topic is, how can we actively involve everyone through the way the workshop or meeting flow is designed, and do that consciously? We've said before, connection is the driver for engagement, but it's the energy of that connection that determines what kind of engagement we're going to have. And we need to address this consciously. Most of that we can actually do through the way we design the workshop and the way we design the flow and the way we deliver that in the workshop. So conscious is something that we need to have at all times. Now, I think we've all been in workshops where there is a presenter or one person starts talking and talks right through the end. Now, that's probably the opposite of what engagement should look like. Sometimes we've been in workshops where there is supposed to be engagement, but for whatever reason, it flies out of the window. It's really important that the interaction that allows the engagement to start taking place is really designed into the workshop. Very often, we've been in meetings or workshops where There is a check-in, and in the check-in, there is great interaction. And that's where it stops. Yes. But people think that, oh, yes, we have interaction, and now everything's fine. It's got to run through from the beginning right through to the end. And there needs to be a balance in that. Bernard, you had an example of a workshop that you told me about before. Yes. So my experience is when people do the the interactive part or interaction on the check-in, feels like they tick the box. Okay, we've been interactive. That's good. Now, one workshop I've attended as a participant that was highly interactive in 
at least from the look at it, when you engaged him, you know, you tried to engage him, it was totally confusing. Because on one side, there was the monologue of the presenter in a webinar style, talking continuously and always saying, okay, if you have a question, if you have a comment, write it in the chat. And then a person in the background was chipping in from the chat. And then they said, read in a chat, there's an, an element rather than integrating it in the talk. So at the end, well, not even at the end, I was actually confused. Said, Where is the flow? What's going on? It was so confusing because of all the interaction happening in the chat. And at the same time, one story or one monologue being continuously brought forward in the main screen. That's not what real interaction is. You're absolutely right. You know, very often we confuse interaction with engagement. And we can actually also have interaction overkill, where mm. we have so much interaction. Everything is so split up in everyone doing things, but there is no actual real engagement. Because engagement doesn't only happen on a physical it level. Real engagement is the interpersonal level. And it's mm. really important that whatever the it level things that we use in the design should facilitate that engagement taking place so that the interaction doesn't distract from the engagement. It really needs that balance. Yes. So in essence, interaction is necessary to drive engagement. It's the energy you bring in through the interaction, but also the right balance and not overkill the engagement through interaction. So let's look into what individual contribution buy-in brings, what you need to consider to make that work in the best way, Philip. For me, there is real engagement in a workshop or in a meeting. If everyone feels that they've been heard and that they've been able to actively contribute, then they feel part of whatever the outcome is, even if there is a concrete outcome. If that doesn't happen, we somehow feel disconnected to it. And we can't exactly put our finger onto why it is, but it's really because of that engagement that we don't feel that we are part of it. Yeah. And that is important, really, when you think about designing your meeting, that you consider individual contribution to create that buy-in by people feeling the engagement. You know, just to come back on to buy-in, buy-in is not necessarily that at the end of the day, I say, yes, I agree to this. Buy-in is a feeling of I'm part of this. Mm. And that leads me to our next point, which is brainstorming. So mm -hmm. often we have brainstorming sessions, obviously face-to-face -face as well as live. But in my experience, the issues that we have in face-to-face -face are just exponentially worse in virtual brainstorms. Mm -hmm. I always tell the story that I lead a workshop and you put three people in front of a flip chart to brainstorm. You give them five minutes. And at the end of the five minutes, you'll have one point written on the flip chart and they'll be busy in a discussion fighting mm -hmm. about what the next point should be or what's wrong or right about this point. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the five minutes, they complain they didn't have enough time. My experience is that you can give them 10 minutes, you can give them 15 minutes, you can give them 20 minutes. It doesn't change the outcome. It really is because of the way that it is designed doesn't facilitate for people to bring in as many new ideas as possible because they're too busy defending what they have already said or trying to fight for airtime 
into bringing in a critical point. That's why you need to bring it into the design because online you have the ability to have breakout rooms. Mm. So, so if you break people up into pairs, both people have an equal opportunity to talk. Maybe one talks more than the other. But even if you just break people up into trios, the dynamic changes completely. Mm-hmm. In pairs, people at least feel the opportunity to contribute as much as they want to. And because they're able to do that, they also feel that they have been heard. Yes. What's important is that after the brainstorm section, the pairs need to present what they have worked on. And this mm-hmm. is vital because if they don't present, they don't feel that they have been heard. Yes. And then the next element is that whatever has been presented by everyone needs to be reworked into a next stage mm. so that you can start reducing it to alternatives that now become workable or to the best alternatives, whatever works in the specific brainstorm. Yes. Because now everybody feels they've been heard and they've been able to contribute. And then there is that feeling of ownership. There's one element I can sense that some people would say, hang on a minute, when you do brainstorm, isn't the dynamic better in the bigger group? The solution we're presenting here, breaking up in pairs, is the way forward because of the online setting. And then the key element is what you just covered, is that you know, rework everyone's contribution. So the, the enrichment of the ideas happen mm-hmm. through the cycles we go through, not in the plenary per se. And I think that's the important part to keep in mind about the dynamic when you design the the process or the structure for a brainstorming. What you said is right. It needs to be a big group because you want the diversity of opinion. But if you're in a big group, and it doesn't matter whether it's online or offline, if one person dominates the conversation, that big group disappears. Mm-hmm. So it's the design and the flow of interaction that allows you to capture the impact of a big group. Yes. You know, and that's the next point that I wanted to bring up is people who hijack a discussion. Mm-hmm. That happens offline and, and online. And it's sometimes really difficult to do that. Yeah. How many times have we all been in a brainstorm where one person is so dominant, either consciously or subconsciously, and just dominates everything? And it's only their opinion that counts. Now, the reaction to that is that everybody has to fight for airtime or for their opinion, as I said earlier. So Mm. if you follow this process in designing a brainstorm, for instance, or even a meeting or contributions to a meeting, that stops people from dominating or hijacking Mm. the meeting. And it's interesting to watch if you do this, that the people who normally want to hijack, they're quite frustrated sometimes because the design doesn't allow them to capture it. And when they try and hijack, it's a lot easier to actually get them to contribute as opposed to hijack. But hijacking a conversation online is a real problem. So how do you deal with that outside of a brainstorm situation? Now, one element just that we talked about that in an earlier episode is, I think, The foundation for that is also laid in the rules of engagement. What you agree as a dynamic, and that's part of the design you you have to consider, what you agree as a dynamic, how people interact and how much airtime you give, what you give 
as a right to yourself as the moderator to intervene if somebody is on a hijack of the conversation. Absolutely. As you said, it's in the rules of engagement that if you stay in the rules of engagement, you're clear about it. I'd like everybody to contribute. And I'd like everybody to contribute in a fair and equitable way. Mm. Then it's very easy to say to somebody, John, sorry, we've heard from you a few times. I'd like to hear from somebody else on this. Yes. All you are doing is you are actually expressing and living the rules of engagement. Yeah. So if you do that, the person who has now been stopped from contributing, maybe they don't feel fantastic. However, the impact on the other people is great because they consciously feel that you want to hear their opinion yeah. and they will bring it. They will react to that. And that consciously brings or rebuilds engagement rather than destroys it. An additional point here for design and flow is that the process you have in mind in the flow has to be really crystal clear. That's absolutely true, Bernard. Very often I find myself making the mistake that I design everything and then I start working through it again. I'm trying to think, hold on. Why is this here? Why is that there? And for me, that's the indication. The flow is not simple enough. If you get confused talking somebody through the flow, then the participants will definitely get confused. It's okay. Design it. Be complicated. But go back, rework it, be rigorous about it. Make sure that it is simple, clean, and easy, and that people are really able to bring in their contributions. Yes. That will help the engagement. How do you ensure that people are clear about what they have to do? What, what ideas you have, what practices you have, we can share here with uh, our listeners. Well, my mistake is if I say, well, you know, I've been clear about the instructions. Mm -hmm. And if I look at it, maybe that's clear for me, but I need to have the instructions clear for everyone in the way they take it in. And maybe this is overkill, but you never know how people will react in a workshop or in a meeting. So for me, I need to have the instructions very clear on the slide that I'm presenting um, in a virtual meeting or in a workshop. Mm -hmm. Also, recommend people take a picture of this so that you have it on your phone. For the producer to copy the instructions into the chat, to upload the instructions in a workbook onto the chat. Now, it sounds like overkill, but people need things in a different way. And we need to support the way they take it in and not for us to sit back and say, oh, yeah, but I had the instructions clear in the slide. They should have read that. Mm. It doesn't work like that. We need to focus on their needs and not be right about the way we want to do things. Yes. What's your experience with that? My experience is exactly the same. I think there's something going on in a process, especially when you when you send people in breakout rooms, that's what we talk about the solution here, mm -hmm. that transfer into the breakout rooms seems to wipe out the short time <laughs> memory because you come into the room sort of, I remember the very first workshop I did in, in Zoom where people said, we have forgotten about the instructions. I said, oh God, haven't you read it? No, 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 no. Well, we, it was just kind of so quick that we moved into the breakout room. So. I think that's a normal thing. We should not say, well, they, they're not capable. I think we just need to cater for that. That's a natural process that people, if you can't provide it inside the breakout room, you need to have a method in place 
to give it to them. Otherwise, you may create frustration. At the minimum, you confuse them. To be honest, every time I'm in a workshop and I'm in a breakout room, I have exactly the same situation. <laughs> yes. So we human, we need to think the human reactions through and then create solutions for them right when we design the workshop. Mm -hmm. It's really important. People won't yeah. notice, but yeah. you will notice the way they react to everything that you've created. Mm -hmm. And that's where the magic comes in. You know, magic is magic. Yes. But you have to create the groundwork for the magic to happen. And the moderator plays a big role in that. My gripe when I take part in workshops or in online meeting is if the moderator starts acting like a participant. Mm -hmm. That really gets me going. I don't know what it's like with you. I'm exactly in the same spot with that. And you notice what's happening because all of a sudden, that there seems to be no direction anymore. You feel that nobody's taking care of moving forward. And then you sometimes feel like you're going in circles. You feel there is mm -hmm. something going on with the moderator that he has got his skin in a game. And that's why he changes the role or loses sight over his responsibility to keep to his role as a moderator. What you just said, he has his skin in the game at your cost. Mm -hmm. You know, and I keep thinking about a very, very specific workshop that I was part of where we did a lot of work in different uh, breakout rooms. Mm -hmm. And the moderator kept coming into the rooms, not checking what the discussion was, but involving himself in the discussion and then getting really involved in the discussion with one person. And then slowly everybody peeled off. And finally, there was only two people left having this discussion. The interesting thing was that after this breakout, everything just started going downhill. And the thought that just occurred to me, there is this truism that we say that for every negative thing that somebody says in a meeting, you have to say five positive things just to balance it out. And my question to myself was, so how is it about engagement? If one negative thing happens, how many positive things do you need to do to foster engagement? Yes. It could be the same ratio, just thinking about it, just from a gut feel that you, you need to play really the positive side of it. And it could be you accidentally having a negative impact on the engagement or participant, mm -hmm. but then you need to be very active to bring the engagement back to the level where it's at its best to make the, the workshop or the meeting a good experience and an engaging experience for people that they like to contribute yeah. and have a great impact on the outcomes. Absolutely. So maybe just to sum up as a gift to those meeting leaders or moderators out there, if you're the leader of the meeting or if you are the moderator, hold on to your role. And if you want to actively participate, get somebody else to lead the meeting or to moderate. Mm. Hold the space for the participants. Actively enable them to engage with each other and with the group as a whole. Because if you do that, that's when you will have success of your meeting or of your workshop. In our next episode, we will continue our conversation on how to engage with others. To help you reflect, we have the following question. When you are a participant in an online meeting, how do you feel and how do you show up as a result of that? When you don't feel connected to the other participants, or the topic of the conversation.
that's it for me. Thank you, everyone. And a big thank you from me as well. But finally, before we go, if you would like to connect with us or share your insights and feedback, please feel free to do so either on linkedin.com, Bernard Zimmerman contact, that is C-O-N hyphen T-A-C-T, or Philip Wurter. We're both based in Germany. Or connect via email at philip at burta.net or bernard.zimmermann at contactinternational.com. That is c-o-n hyphen t-a-c-t hyphen international.com. We look forward to connecting in our next episode. Thank you and goodbye.